Welcome back everyone to R2Cast number 58. Last week we were in Scotland, the week before we were in Canada, but today we're jumping back across the pond to the States to speak with Andrea Fleming. Andrea, would you like to say hello? What's up? Hi. Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2Cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer. A weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry. Whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads or just wholesome stories happening in the industry, the Scottish farmers got it for you. So it's, I think we can all agree, we've had a few in the past with really nice backgrounds. We've had Richard uh, Cornick with Will Rubottom and Andrea and I were speaking off camera. Um, just how nice her, well, I was saying she was very modest about all, but uh, how cow-themed her, her office background is. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing to look at for the rest of the podcast. Um, Andrea, you may follow on Instagram and TikTok are the two main things I believe Andrea's on as that fit advocate which has taken me some time to manage to get my tongue around and I'm surprised I managed to say it correctly that time, so that's a win. Um, Andrea, could you tell us about where you're from? First off, we're obviously based in the UK. Where is it you're based in the States? Yeah, of course. So I live in Southwest Minnesota. So if you're not familiar with like geography, I am pretty much central Northern United States, not far from Canada. So they're kind of my buddies. I mean, I'm on the bottom side of the state, but I farm in the very southwest corner of Minnesota with my family. So that's kind of where we hang out. Is what's the the states are so vast, and what's what's the sort of the weather like there for? Well, tell us about winter. Tell us about summer. I've got the reason I'm asking this is in my head. Is Minnesota one of those places that's freezing in the winter? Yeah, it's miserable in the winter, but we also get really hot. So like this last week, um, we had heat advisories. We were hitting like 115 degree Fahrenheit real feel. Um, and then we also go all the way to like negative 50 real feel in the winter. So we go from like freezing your face off with snow blasting at you or it gets too cold to snow to like you walk outside and you feel like you're in melt. It's the best of both worlds, a.k.a. the worst of both worlds. I mean, that's a ridiculous thing. Uh range it sucks and like it's hard on cattle and it's hard on me and it's just not fun it's not great <laughs> like you, you've been i think you've been brought up there your whole life is that right yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, do you know of people that that have came to where you are and had to get used to it how, how do they deal with that so usually like i always like when i travel I'll ask somebody on the plane like where are you from and we'll have, like, have a conversation and it almost always resorts back to the weather because it's one thing to experience like the hot humidity that we get in the summer. Like a lot of states also get that in the U.S., right? But then when sure. they experience like January, that is the worst thing. Like you wouldn't expect to walk outside if you're not from here and feel like your face is being like pelted off by wind. Because not only is it cold, like we get excessive winds because it's so flat. So it'll be like a little bit cold and then it's miserable because we have winds that pelt everything against your face. So it's not great. Like we always talk about it and they're like, I can handle summer heat, but the winter is usually what drives people away. That's mental. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those ones that prefers the cold. Me but too. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I'm talking like, you know, 
zero and negative four. It's, it's, I mean, that's crazy. And just for the, you guys listening, uh, for reference, for those of you that don't work in Fahrenheit, uh, because I didn't, I just quickly had a Google, um, for, for centigrade or Celsius, that's about negative 45 to about 46, the figures you were saying. Uh, and we we hit 41.2 in London. I'm not in London, but here in the UK, in London, we hit 41.2, I think it was, about two weeks ago at the time of recording. And London was literally on fire. You know, <laughs> we're not cut out for this sort of thing. Um, houses were on fire, everything. Like, it's 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 quite interesting to see how, how different regions are, are cut out for different environments. And you guys are obviously dealing with it okay in that you're still there. Um, yeah. I believe you're fifth generation. Is that right? Yep, I'm fifth generation. So, I mean, we've had, I mean, I, I'm not on the farm anymore, but I'm technically third generation if you class me. I mean, most people wouldn't, but when I go back and do the lamins, I guess you could say I'm third gen. Um, but fifth is fifth is quite a, an extensive period. And, and I would say a lot more common in the States than it is in the UK. Um, yeah, I would say pretty common. When, when did that first generation start? When was that? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. So my dad is fourth. I want to say we were a century farm. So we celebrated a hundred years in like 2013, 2014. Right. So sometime, maybe like 2012, somewhere in that time frame. I was in high school. So one of those time frames. So I think we're at like a hundred and between 105 to 110 years now, technically. So it was my like great great grandfather or great 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 grandfather. I'm really bad with that, but <laughs> I finally asked my dad and he had to do the math because it's just you don't we haven't thought of like what generation we were we just kept farming essentially for sure yeah for sure it's, it's, it's one of those things that just happens then one day you think about it you know, oh yeah you know we're, we're one we're two right. or three like he was um, like your grandpa was this one your great grandpa and I was like oh yeah I like I'd never thought to ask until I think this last fall I was like what generation am I because everyone started like talking about it and I was like yeah you know how far are we you know <laughs> who am I who am I <laughs> I know it's been a hundred plus years, but like, what's the technical number? So, <laughs> um, has obviously the farms changed over that period of time, but has it has it always been a similar sort of enterprise, maybe larger now? Um, so we kind of have always had a little bit of cattle, and a little bit of crops. So things have really progressed more into the cattle in the last couple of years, especially since I came back home. Um, I love cattle. Like you can't tell the cow themed office. Um, and I didn't grow up doing a lot with the crops. So I am learning more about the crop side of operations because I have to be able to feed my cattle. Right. And we have the ground. Um, but I just, I didn't do that. That wasn't my passion. So I was originally going to be a veterinarian. So I like cattle, livestock, that's where my happy place is. So we've always done both. Um, but the last couple of years we've grown into the cattle side of things because the land prices in the United States, I don't know if you're familiar with it. They are outrageous. It's hard to expand, um, and get land right now without paying to the point that it's almost a dumb decision because it is so expensive right now. Um, so we're actually like putting up a barn to feed more cows doing that expansion wise instead of land. Um, but I would say, we always had like a smaller cow calf herd. It used to be like 50 or so when I was younger. And then we had like some bottle calves we fed out. We did dairy calves for a while, all that. But it's always been base crops and cattle. It's just now shifting to a little more cattle feedlot cow calf versus mainly crops. My dad's patience is very thin. So when it was just him, it was crops this way. <laughs> <laughs> So a, a few things to, to sort of unlock there. You, you said land prices are, are, are through the roof. Now, I don't know if the reasons are the same, but here in the UK, 
uh, everyone wants trees. Well, <laughs> a lot of the people that have the land don't want trees, but uh, you know, powers that be and stuff like that want trees. That's the reason our land prices are flying through the roof. Is that the same for you guys or? I don't really hear much about like it being the trees. I think it's just the fact that people have had a lot more money from the last couple of years. We've had some different like um, issues and they get like government payments and stuff. And whether you're on either, either side of that, um, this is what we're thinking is a lot of people paid off their debt. So now when people are selling out farms, it's family that's being broken down to from like the grandpa dies and then he has, you know, four grandkids. It gets divided in four. So they wanted the most, the most bang for the buck they can get. So that's driving land prices up. Plus like the city expansion is growing. That prices are just getting so high. And where I live, uh, if you ever heard of like Northwest Iowa, I'm very close to Northwest Iowa. It's very good black fertile dirt. It's really great for corn and soybeans. So the yields are very high. Um, but honestly, I think it's, it's kind of dumb how high land prices are because you can buy, you know, a little area of land and you're not going to be ahead for years <coughs> upon years upon years. So I would say it's just development. And then the fact that people have money, so they're spending it. And it's a lot of like, we have different farmers in the area that are like trying to have more land than this farmer. And it just ends up being this big. I don't know. There's a lot, but it's not just like trees and stuff like that. For sure. And it leans itself to that whole idea of factory farming. There's no connection between a stocks person, their animals, that sort of thing, because only the elite can afford it and, and so on and so forth. And, and certainly over here. And I think that the one person I'm aware of in the States, actually quite a fan of the guy, is Bill Gates is buying up a lot of ground as, as what will potentially be carbon credits. Now, I'm saying I'm a fan. I don't know if you guys are in the States, but... Uh, um, <sighs> I don't know. It's not, <laughs> I'm not a fan of it because of what I know. Um, and it's not good for like the farmer feeders or anybody that is a smaller operation. It's hard for us to grow and develop. And like my parents farm right now and I have a brother, but right now he's not interested. So with my husband and I trying to join in and expand, doing that is really hard. Like my husband and I cannot just go buy a quarter of land sure. at all. And then try to you know, have more cows or build a house or do anything. It's kind of pick your one route and you're stuck there for 30 years paying it off. That's the struggle right now. Plus we're in a drought and all the inputs are really high and it's just not ideal timing. Yeah, well, not at all. And, and you're talking 30 years. The time yeah. you get, the age you get to before you can afford to buy that is probably 30. So you, you're, you're finishing your work in life by the time you're, you're strike, striking even. It's just, oh, that's pointless, yeah. And you're just passing uh, it down and then it's got issues and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we've been very positive about farming in the States here. <laughs> um, the, it's, it's funny, we're, we're talking, talking about this, the States and, and the UK and whatnot. Um, we, we spoke off camera, Andrew and myself, about uh, the problems with time zones. Well, not problems with time zones, but maybe our inability to understand them. And we'd obviously... I think we're GMT plus one, I'm in. I think that's how it works. Because I don't know if you're the same, but we have a different time in the summer than we have in winter. Uh, do you put clocks back and forward? Is that yeah, so like fall, I think we fall back and then spring we jump ahead, which is also confusing for me. So Well, you've said that confidently. I can never say it confidently. I have to wait <laughs> until everyone tells me what I'm doing that Sunday. Like, <laughs> Usually I like have to see it on like Facebook or like my mom will remind me or my phone automatically switches. But we fall back because it's fall. It's the only reason I can remember that we fall back and fall. That is a really good way to remember it. And I'm going to keep that one because I've never been able to remember it. It's always my dad tells me, like you say, um, or, or now we don't really notice because the next morning we wake up right. and either we're really tired or we're, we're really well, well rested. Right. Um, but we've managed today 
to to meet at the right time. Seven o'clock for me, one o'clock for yourself. But two episodes ago, number fifty six with Brian and Mandy in Canada, uh, they, I was out running in bales at silence time, and they text me like, "Are you okay? Like, are you ready to go?" And I'm like, "Shit, I've got the wrong time off because of time zones." So. Um, yeah, they, they do cause a problem, and, and uh, yeah, but maybe maybe they shouldn't cause a problem. Maybe we should just be able to understand them. But I certainly haven't haven't Hi. yet. Um, <laughs> you mentioned you sort of before you came home, and you mentioned that you want to be a vet. Or, never mind, say the word. Let's just go vet. Um, were you a vet, or did you just decide not to do that? So I went to uh, my undergrad, got my bachelor's degree in animal science, and I was the science specialization. So I did apply to vet school. Uh, my first year, I did not get in, and then I applied a second year. I ended up applying my application because I found my space back home for me with my family. Um, in the middle of that, I was in feed sales for a little bit, but I didn't enjoy it, so I ended up quitting. And then I started sharing online. So I found this like passion that wasn't necessarily vet med sharing online about agriculture and farming with my family, and I liked the you know, a little bit of like the time freedom and flexibility I do have, not that farming is flexible, but there's different seasons that I have more time for things like this um, versus like harvest and calving. I'm like over there. Um, and then I didn't have to go take on a whole bunch of debt to do something that I, you know, would have to be at a very set schedule working all the time, not able to farm with my family. So at one of my lowest, I kind of like my lowest points in life, I found a passion for sharing online, which is something I did not do until I started doing it. Do you know what, you've mentioned something there, you've actually mentioned two things that I really will follow up on, but see how you said at your lowest. I've, I've, I've followed you now for probably two or three weeks, I think you've been in touch with you. Um, you you're real. You know, it, it's not, uh, it's, I think some folk are guilty of, this is my Instagram and everything's perfect, <laughs> which is not, because it just can't be. Uh, and, and I really like that about yourself, the fact that the stuff you post isn't just, trying to pretend it's all sunshine and rainbows I mean you talk about the shit stuff in life you talk about the low points you talk be that in farming be that personal life um which is respectful in itself but have, have you always done that have you always because you've, you've posted something like two and a half thousand posts on Instagram which is massive amount um is is, is that realness always been there so I think like, especially, I don't know if like social media is kind of toxic to different people in different countries, but I know like growing up, social media was a really toxic place for me. It was for like pretty pictures and pretty selfies. Like my Instagram is the same Instagram from like fifth grade where it was like really cringy selfies and that's it. Um, so for me, when I was like consuming social media, it was toxic. It was people that live these perfect lives and have like a really nice farmhouse that is always clean. And I was like, I don't know how these people have time for this because I'm, you know, in knee deep shit, having like stressed out, running on two hours of sleep. Like how is their life so perfect? And I found myself really like playing the comparison game to the point that what I was consuming was making me feel like absolute crap about myself. And that's not fun. And I went through a lot of bullying in high school and middle school um, to the point that I kind of hid behind like this wall of fake Andrea. It wasn't like toxic fake, but it just wasn't me being me. Like you didn't see the cow wall and the quirks and the weirdness and the like the random things I say and do and how much I love agriculture because I got picked on for that. So finally, when I realized, hey, if I start sharing like the authentic real me, there are people out there across the pond all over the world that are just like me and also went through the same thing. So I found a lot of like 
mental health relief and a little stress relief and a freeing feeling and just being me. Even if people don't love it, I'm like, bye, peace out. Like you're not my person. Um, but I've also created a lot of connections. And I think a lot of women also relate to that because if you scroll social media, if you don't scroll my feed, you scroll like a whole bunch of other people, it's fake. It's perfect. It's only the good stuff. I don't want to be that person that makes, you know, 13 year old girl in middle school feel like I'm about her life. I want her to be like, Hey, I can live my real life too. So I would say since like 2018, 2019, I really started sharing. And that's when I got really real. I think that's, that's important. I mean, it's quite funny when you see folk that have their Instagram that they had when they were whatever. And now they have it still because you, if you, I mean, I'm not going to go back to two and a half thousand photos, but if you go back, you're like, oh my god, this is the same person, and it's it's quite interesting because I've I've completely severed my old account, don't use it at all, um, but still have access to it. And this whole rural to kitchen one, I only follow folk like yourself, spoke in the industry, folk in food and farming, all that sort of stuff. So I'm only seeing that stuff. But when I accidentally click back onto my old account, I'm like, oh my God, man, this is such a falsified world we're trying to portray here. Um, and it, I think I think us farming lot, shall we say, are, are, are probably better at just being real about it. Yes, there's the folk that pretend, but but I think that's respectful. And, and, and you talked about, first off, sorry to hear you went through that as a kid. It, it's not, I think so many of us did, but I, I don't know if this is a fair assumption to make, but I mean, I certainly, I was one of them. And I think there's a lot of people that went through that really tough stuff and they were shy at school and they were whatever and they had their ways of coping with it, whether that was hiding behind a screen, whether that was whatever. But I seem to see they're the ones that do pretty well. Uh, now, it's gotta be something of like, you hit your lowest and you come out of it. And I think like I went through my lowest points earlier than a lot of people go through them. Yeah. Oh, and it comes to like maturity and also being a farm kid we know how to work and all that fun stuff but I realized that like that lowest low when I felt like absolute garbage and didn't want to continue my life honestly that's how low I was I was worth being around because of xyz I have interest in this and sharing that found me the community that makes me feel grounded every single day but do you mind me asking and, and say no if not but what age were you when you felt you didn't want to continue life anymore um i want to say like 14 15 how sad is that but i mean like like that and i've heard so many people say that you know like th i think six through like 14 th maybe 13 14 is that age that you should just be a kid like life shouldn't matter you know it should just be i want to go out and play and yes that goes from playing on the swings to maybe going to the park and getting drunk you know like but that like the fact that that's a thought at that age is is so sad and 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 the 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 strength of you to come through that and then you know try and change that for future 14 year old andreas is, is great and and good to see and and i'm sure it's working i'm sure it's working because because folk are going on and realizing that your life is your life is really good but also yes shit stuff happens so well kudos for that uh, that that's good good to see um you you mentioned about a uh, you, you started studying, you did your undergrad in animal science. Um, it, maybe this is, well, I know it's not a myth, but how bad is it for tuition fees in the States? We always hear horror stories over here. Um, <laughs> you're gritting your teeth, so maybe that answers the question. But, uh. um, it's pretty bad, depending where you go. So originally when I was in high school deciding between, so I'll just be real, Iowa State University versus South Dakota State University. They, there's a little bit of a driving distance for me, um, but 
the cost difference is very different going to Iowa versus SDSU. So I went to South Dakota State because it was cheaper. It was closer to home. And it's also where like my dad went and I like the school a lot. Um, so my cost actually there wasn't terrible because I applied for a ton of grants, a ton of scholarships, because when you're a farmer and you apply for FAFSA, which is what they call it in the U.S., um, they take your land as like equity. So you don't get any, like nothing, even if you have a little bit of land, you're like, cool, my parents are not going to pay for this. Or like the land is not great versus inputs and stuff. Um, so I applied for as many grants and scholarships as I could. And thankfully, uh, my dad, since I was going to go to vet school, he saved up a lot to pay for my undergrad for me. Um, in addition to my scholarships, which it wasn't a lot, actually, once it got down, um, overachiever in high school kind of paid off back then. But <laughs> if you go to like out of state universities or any universities that cost more, there are students that come out with $120,000 at least in debt for four years. So I have a, my best friend is actually graduated vet school and the amount of debt that she has from undergrad and vet school makes me want to like vomit it's so bad it's it's a it's a scary thing because it it almost first off lucky lucky for your situation works out well but it, it almost it, it elitifies education which should never be the case you know because no, like I went to animal science like it is a ag based degree and I got done in three years which also helped but like it wasn't crazy rocket science like engineering program it was stuff that I can take into real life and it still costs an arm and a leg. I can't imagine like if I would have gone across the country to a bigger school, how much I would have came out with. And then, you know, coming out, graduating at 22, 23, getting a job that doesn't pay even like a quarter of that in a year. That's scary. Yeah. Like you're paying your debt off till you're 40 years old. It's, it's wrong. And I almost feel bad showing you the comparison to what we have here in the UK, because I mean, and I'm, I'm Scotland in particular, which is arguably better because we have free tuition fees for five years. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, we, we then get a student loan on top of that to pay for things like, bursary, you know, uh, just living costs, that sort of thing. And then I did my master's and there was one girl from the States and she was like, I'm, I'm 145 grand in debt after this year. And I'm like, oh my God, is it even worth it to do it? You know, it's, it's crazy. It's it's a shame that that's, and is, is that a thing that looks like changing or is it? Uh... I don't know how they're going to change it. Like in the United States, like our healthcare system, especially for like pregnancy stuff is not great and just healthcare in general. And then our schooling program is not great. So I don't know how to fix either of them with how like our taxes and inflation and debt and everything is right now. Because during COVID they tried to like, they wanted to forgive some student loans. They stopped interest. Like and I don't think forgiving them or making it free is a solution for us at all. I don't know. Because if you apply for like a ton of grants and stuff, it is possible to get it down, but not everybody ends up doing that. And it just, I don't like, sometimes you gotta be smart about where you go, but also if you want to go here really bad, like do it. I just, coming out of school with a bachelor's degree and over $100,000 in debt is ridiculous. It's one thing if it's like 20, 25,000 in debt. I mean, you can pay that off you know within xyz if you live frugally but some of these kids coming out with just a basic bachelor's degree that then go on to get their master's that already have a hundred thousand dollars in debt that's the scary part it's scary and and you mentioned about sort of pregnancy related things there i mean the whole whole abortion thing in the last month has been shocking to see it's wild our country scares the crap out of me every single day essentially i'm like not surprised what happens next i'm like well here comes some more things that just i have no idea what's happening anymore 
but like, I mean, I did honestly like people listening to this that know me. Like Wallace is talking about politics; he doesn't know anything about politics, and that's true. Um, but like, I think you know, I'm not going to get into political opinions and whatnot. But I think your last president, certainly a lot of people this side of the pond were not a fan of, uh, and I think your current president, more folk are a fan of. But it doesn't seem, from what I hear, things get better. You know, I, I you know. I think the issue, like not to go into politics, but the United States is so like, you have to be this side or this side. Nobody meets in the middle. And that's our issue right now is we're constantly flipping. So then whatever they reverse, they just reverse again. That's all we're doing every four to eight years. And it's just, it's a mess. It sucks. Well, that's a really good point because assume it in your head is like a Venn diagram. You've got that tiny touch of the two parties, your Republican and, and Democrats. Whereas for example, here you've got, Conservative, Labour, Lib Dem, SNP, you know, so there's, yeah, here, we don't need to get into politics, but I just wanted to ask about the tuition fees because it's, 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 it's a shame the word, I don't know, it's, it's not, it's not easy anyway. You also mentioned earlier about um, when you were talking about applying for those, uh, no, it wasn't when you were talking about that, but you mentioned earlier about sort of government payments for farmland. Um, how, do, how does that work in the States? Because we have that here, but I assume it's different. So it really depends upon like the industry, but basically there's like relief programs. So like we've had like a drought or um, you have like crop insurance. And then during COVID, they started giving out payments to farmers for, you know, reimbursing for prices that kind of sucked or high input costs. And just there was all kinds of stuff that happened during COVID because it was something we've never experienced. Right. So you apply for these programs and you got this chunk of money. Well, a lot of it ended up being a lot of money and people paid off their debt. So like my mom is on a bank board um, and they want loans really bad right now because everybody paid off their debt with these payments, which is awesome. But now everybody can go get more loans to buy X, Y, Z with more stuff. Like a lot of people around us have brand new equipment. Again, they're building shops, they're building giant like barns, which is great, but then we get to turn the tables and then up the other way again. So those are kind of like unique government payment programs that came out because like crop insurance has always been a thing and then like drought relief different stuff like that it was just so much coming at one time from covid that kind of got backlash that it just kept coming all at once and it was quite a bit of money which is nice but now it's great (laughs) so so there's no uh like for instance the way it works here is you have this amount of land on these three qualities and you get paid this amount per quality there's not something like that no I mean, there might be, but I don't know a lot about like that specific stuff. I just know like the basics of what you can apply for and then like certain natural disasters happen. But we had like PPP that came from COVID and just more government things that you could just apply for. So then like your neighbor did. So then you did because you're like, I'm not going to miss out on the money. Yeah, it was just I think it was too much. And then like Minnesota just did a drought program for last year because we were in a really bad drought and it came out and that's not even going to add up to anything. So I'm like. When we actually needed it, we're not getting it because the drought last year was really bad in like central and northern Minnesota um, and then also like North Dakota. So hay prices were excessive and you were fencing and just everything. And we actually needed that. But then that ended up being like the people that applied, I think it was a couple hundred dollars a person. Like it doesn't cover anything for pointless. For, yeah. like, right. It just, which Minnesota is not really a great like state right now for agriculture. <laughs> so <laughs> it's just the government payment things are weird. I don't know. Um, mentioned COVID a couple of times and how, how a lot of payments came from that. How has COVID impacted things in agriculture in the States or has it not impacted things in agriculture in the States? 
I think um, there's a big push right now for people to get direct consumer like beef and products in general. A lot of people are very interested in that, um, which is great. So you just have to have your meat like inspected to sell it, which is a challenge in some places because butchers closed down during COVID. Um, and a lot of them are not inspected federally, so you can sell your meat. So like where we butcher, um, it's not federally inspected. It's just like for us, so we can sell like halves and holes. But I have people, you know, I've, I've wanted to sell beef, but we have to go somewhere else. And the dates are like a year back to get like packaged steaks and such. So that was great. Um, and people started realizing that like ag is essential because we had a big backlash. People were like, oh, we don't need agriculture. Agriculture is the devil. You know, greenhouse gases, cows are destroying the planet. Like that was a big pre-COVID thing. It's still a challenge, but people kind of realized, hey, we do need the food industry in the ag, ag world. Um, but I would say people just, they want food that they can count on. So they were much more of like direct to the farmer to get it. But now we have inflation and high prices and now everyone's kind of freaking out again. And it's just, people don't even trust going to the grocery store anymore. I'm like, mm -hmm. your food is still safe there, whether you get it at my house or you buy the, my beef when it ends up at the grocery store. So that kind of, it was good and bad. Like I'm kind of confused on what happened, but I saw your post about going to the grocery store last week or a few days ago. I thought it was quite good. <laughs> I'd never even thought about people thinking that. It's a really good point. Um, <laughs> well, that's the thing. You guys have got, um, and I, well, we're, we're God, I don't know how long, 20 odd, 20, well, half an hour in already. And um, I haven't even talked about the farm, which I will get into in a second. Uh, but the, the, whole, the whole drought thing, right? We talked about weather at the start. How long can you be expecting to see drought? And and that must be horrible to work with. It's hard. And I, I feel guilty even talking about it because we just got rain this weekend, finally. Um, but we were looking at our corn and our corn experienced a lot of stress early in the season because we went, it was like 67 days or something without any moisture this year. And we had a really dry winter. So the issue is coming off these Midwest states is we're not getting a lot of snow, a lot of us. So that's a lot of our, like, we should be really muddy in the spring. And this spring when we calved, I didn't fight mud at all. It was weird. It was fantastic at the time, but now you're like For sure. dry. Um, but they say like, it's always a cycle. Same with like how markets are and such. Um, but Kansas right now is so bad. Oklahoma is bad. Texas is bad. People are selling cattle. Like our cold cow market right now is so saturated that prices are going to do all kinds of stuff. And we were set up at the beginning of the year to have record like fat cattle prices. So now I'm like, what is actually going to happen? It's just, I don't know. They expected that we'll be in like a drought-ish season for five, six years is kind of what I've heard and read, which is scary in itself. Um, but they said that last year for North Dakota and North Dakota has had a record rainfall and has grass up to like taller than their cows now. And last year they were starving their cows out almost. So yeah. I'm hoping that we shift back. Um, but like South of us, a couple hours is, it's very dry. It's scary. Yeah. The scary is the word. And when you're talking about five and six years, I mean, um, first off, impressive forecast. <laughs> I'm like, well, do they really know? Like, I think it's all just going to be, We'll find out, I guess, but for sure. Um, but I mean, for reference, though, 67 days we have a hose pipe ban in this country at the minute, at, currently, right now, and it's rained three days of the last week. That's wild. So, like, I mean, if we, I hear drought is not a word we talk about here, it's just, it is not like you can have the rain, please take the rain, you know. Like, right. Um, no, I, I, I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, no, that's not how it is, but uh, yeah, it's that's that's hard to work with. Um, 
we have, however, been talking about your farm and the farming sector and the and the country and all this stuff. Uh, and we haven't actually talked about the farm. So farming in Minnesota with cattle and crops. But first off, how, let's talk about cattle first. How, how is that cattle system run and what, what breeds are you using? Um, so we are all like Black Angus based, a little bit of Simmental because um, we do have like the cold weather. So they have to be very cold weather tolerable. Um, so we run primarily a black herd. They're just commercial cows. Um, we don't have like any crazy registered superior genetics. We Everything that is born here goes directly from weaning kind of into our feedlot. So it'll never be sold. And then we do buy additional cattle to fill the feedlot. So that's a little different because um, not everybody in the U.S. does that. A lot of people do cow-calf only, or they do the feedlot piece of it. We kind of do both, which some, Minnesota is kind of common to do that. Um, but yeah, they're just, we have a couple like red cows. Otherwise we keep them pretty uniform because you get more money for black cattle if you sell like black. All right. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's really kind of what we do now. So. And tell us a bit about that. Cause I mean, well, funnily enough, most of my viewers are in the States. Um, 76% of my viewers in the States actually check. Yeah, I don't really know how. Where did um, that? Yeah, I, I, I really don't know how because I kind of really want to tap into UK market. Uh, no, I'm clearly in the UK market, but still a, a large. Well, that's not true. Seventy-eight percent of non-YouTube viewers are so, like Spotify, Apple Podcasts are all, are all in the states. But but for our UK listeners, the three of them, um, <laughs> could you tell us? Could you tell us about that feedlot system because it's a thing that just doesn't happen here. Right. Um. <clears throat> so it depends. Like, different operations are different. So right now we're actually building a barn that will have total confinement cows. But in the United States as a whole, cows are out on pasture. They're in the areas that you can't grow crops. So you think of like Nebraska, North Dakota, Wyoming, all the grass, you see the prairies, that's where your cows are at. Um, generally they calve in the spring, somewhere between spring, winter sometimes, <laughs> January to April-ish or so, we calve a little bit later than some because of how terrible our winters are. Um, you calve then, the cows stay with mom all the way through the summer. They're weaned in the fall, and at that point, they go into the backgrounding stage, which can be done a couple of different ways. Um, some calves will go out back on grass and graze. You essentially just want them to grow up instead of out. You don't want to get them fat at this point. You want to keep them kind of green is what we call them, so they still they can go into the feedlot transition really well. Um, so us, personally, our calves background in the lot, so they just wean directly into, like, the feedlot. They just are in the backgrounding phase, so they get a lot of forage. Um, it's like it's hay essentially is what it is and then some silage, um, not much corn. Other calves that we'll buy will end up on pasture for those 60 to 90 days, depending, sometimes it's longer, um, before they'll get sold to come into the feedlot. So then as they transition through that, they'll add more corn into their diet if it's grain-fed beef, um, and they'll be in the feedlot kind of throughout that phase. Some cattle, like I said, in the United States, they stay on grass until they're like a year um sometimes a little over a year and then they'll be in the feedlot only for like the last 90 to 150 days our cows because of where we live stay in the lots from weaning all the way to finishing so pretty much a year so kind of, it depends <laughs> so so most are being are being slaughtered around that year stage um they're right at a year and a half year right. and a half years yeah, yeah. so it's so usually a year from weaning about ish depending is when they'll kind of hit the spot. Yeah, I was going to say, because I thought you said a year, but I was like, that is young, but yeah. yeah that no, sense. usually it's a year from like, that they hit that. They're a year and a half. We average like 17 to 19 months or so with our cattle when they go in. So. Right. Yeah. No, it's in my head. I was like, I know it's quicker than here, but good God. <laughs> yeah. I, really, I really managed this. They'd um, be like short, fat, little chubby things that are like three feet tall. <laughs> you want to know yeah, a year. That's it. That's it. I like the, the idea of growing up, not out. 
yeah. <laughs> I wish I wish I'd done that as a teenager. Um, <laughs> might have. Yeah, exactly. It might have reduced the bullying we spoke about earlier. Um, yeah. The uh, the do you guys use um like growth regulating hormones? Is that a thing that you guys are using? Yeah. So we do use implants um in our operation. Not everybody does. There's kind of a push to not use implants a little bit, and some, especially the direct to consumer, it's a marketing thing. Um, sure. I don't know. Are implants legal over in the UK? Are they? No, they're, they're not used here at all. No. no. Oh, see, that's and that's. I mean, you, yeah. you guys don't have a lot of like feedlot stuff either. You said so. Um, I believe them. I like them a lot. They just have to be used properly. Um, like we just implanted our bottom half of the feedlot fifty days ago, so they are not clear to ship until September, mid-September or so, when they hit yeah. the end of the implant. Otherwise, the meat isn't super marbled it'll be like hot in a sense is what we call it right. uh, but i believe in them because i think they're fantastic and they improve our efficiency so you said when used correctly what what would be what do you mean by correctly what is not correctly what is correct some people there has to be a system like you have to have like which implant you're using and why you're using it because sometimes mm -hmm. people will give a really hot implant at a very early stage and then your cattle are not going to grow up they're going to grow out right. um they're going to have that same situation. And some people don't realize that if you implant a cow or cow or steer or whatever, and then you process it two weeks later, your implant is not going to be any good. But if you don't wait a certain length, like there has to be a protocol in place. Cause if you only give them one at the wrong time, it's not going to benefit you at all. It's not going to do any good. So there's different like hormone levels. We start at like a base level. They go to the mediocre, not mediocre, but the medium one. And then they go yeah. to the higher level potency at the end. Otherwise, you're gonna waste your money. You're not gonna do any good. It's just, it's pointless, really. So, it's uh, pardon my ignorance in this. It's just, you know, we don't have it here. So, um, and I'm sure quite a lot of the folk here will be interested in this because we, we hear about hormones and we we don't really know. Well, we know what it does roughly, but it, are they? Will they mean you utilize protein better? Will they have better muscle growth? How? how what is it they're intending on doing? So essentially it's going to increase your rate of gain and the like rate that they're putting on the muscle and the marbling. So like the implant we just use is Revlar 200. It's a ending implant. It's higher potency that it helps them put on that marbling at the very end. It's a terminal implant essentially versus in the beginning, it kind of just helps them grow the skeletal muscle. Um, Cause it has like, you have your artificial synthetic hormones and you have like the actual hormones they put into them. So there's different combos and different implants. There's a lot on yes. the market, um, but essentially it's just improving your feed efficiency and your rate of gain as they go. And did you see Revlar 200? Yes. Revlar 200 is the one we just gave. So that is one of the, like they have like Revlar IH, they have Revlar IS, there's steer specific hormones, there's heifer hormone implants, there's different ones, but Revlar 200 is a really common um, terminal implant, the final like 90 day push. Well, I, I assume this, by the way, that's going to be the rabbit hole I'm going down tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know what I'm looking at tonight. Um, it sounds so sad, doesn't it? Uh, the, yeah, interesting you say it, there's sort of different ones for, for steers and there's for heifers and that sort of thing. And, and, that, that makes sense. I mean, even with humans, when, like, for example, the implant, you know, that it plays with folk big time, you know, it's going to cause a lot of problems there. So it's, I've, I've never looked, the, what you've told me is more than I've really known, known up to this point. Um, you've been, well, you haven't been a vet, but you've sort of looked down that route before. What do you think from a, a welfare perspective of, 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 of hormones, 
both for the animal and also for where I think the issue lies, the sort of public health thing, are hormones going into people's beef? So as long as they're being used correctly and you're not, you know, processing an animal that has had an implant for 30 days with very high levels because they're slow releasing over time. So there's different pellets in the hormone that goes in and they slowly release. It's not all at once, Um, but they've done studies and like the hormone difference between cattle that have had implants and cattle that have not is it's like nothing. You're going to get more hormones in your food from eating certain vegetables than you will from beef. It's really kind of cool. But I've done a lot of like self-research and then the university I went to does a lot of research with implants because it's they do a lot with the beef industry um so because of the research and I'm very much a science nerd I believe in them I think they're safe and effective and it's that's why like the U.S. is number one in sustainability for beef it's because of these technologies and they've been around since like the 60s or 70s and been used all the time so and I've grown up on like hormone beef implanted beef (laughs) I'm fine (laughs) Yeah, are you okay? Yeah, you're fine. Yeah. And We're good. <laughs> it, do you know it's it's funny that honestly this this is gonna sound like I'm instigating a a, a UK US battle here. It's not in the slightest. It's funny you say um US is the highest sustainability beef in the in the world. That is not what we are told over here. <laughs> what in just, the world? <laughs> I don't what, understand. The, the reason the reason for it is is sort of looking at in the comparison between sort of the states, Brazil and Argentina are always classified together for the use of feedlots and, and the fact that here in the UA in, in the UK, <laughs> forget what country I'm in, uh, it's it's all sort of it's not all grass fed, but there's this idea. It's, there's heavily grass fed, but you're just talking there that that's the case for you guys. It's really just the finishing systems where we would have indoor sort of barley beef intensive units. You guys are having these outdoor feedlot systems now that when you really compare those differences, it's not not really that that different. It's, it's quite interesting to hear from someone on the ground talking about it. Um, and there's another thing that I want to talk about with yourself uh, that's sort of that we don't have over here. Um, and that's jumping over to the crop side uh, with GMOs. But before we get into GMOs, could you tell us about the, actually one thing I forgot to ask? What sort of headage of cattle have you got? It's always going to be varied throughout different yeah. parts of the year, but roughly. <laughs> what was the question? Sorry, my internet was freaking out. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Um, what, what sort of headage of cattle? How many cattle have you got? Um, so right now we have about so cow calf right now we have 85 pairs so they're out on pasture and then we have five bulls that run with them and then the feedlot varies depending on the year we're a little bit fuller this year I think we have like 325 on feed um, with fat cattle shipping out any day so that'll drop a little bit and then the barn we are building is going to increase our herd to 160 heads so we'll have 240 250 cows that are having babies every year it's gonna it's gonna be a big change next year then yeah it's like tripling the herd which is like making me really happy inside <laughs> and it's, yeah no, exactly it's just yourself your mom your dad and your your husband yeah sorry yep, yep. Well, so actually, my sorry. husband is actually a farrier so he works like off the farm yeah. does horseshoeing and then my parents farm and then i'm like over there is free labor doing things hanging out so you get an office out of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, now that we're building the barn, I'll be over there way more and like in depth a lot. But it's very like seasonal. So like today, I helps take a tire off, and not much is happening. Dad's gonna go rake hay. Otherwise, it's a not busy season right now. Essentially, there's stuff to do, but it's not like do or die stuff. So, which yeah, I mean, you said that earlier. That can be one of the nice things about farming. You've got your mad intense twenty-hour days for periods of time, and then you've got your let's go feed everything, then we're good. Yep. The, the reason I was asking about who was on the farm, well, 
will the the sort of three and a half of you be enough when that burn's finished? Yeah, I think so, just because it will be seasonal and like I'm going to be fully committed to it. So between the goal of how the barn is going to be set up, it's total confinement and it's different individual pens in there with about 26 cows per pen. Um, the goal is to have it so my mom and I can run it fully besides right. that. So we'll have to scrape daily, feed daily and bed daily because it's a bed pack on the back. Otherwise, it's just calf checks, assisting with labor if needed, tagging calves. So the goal of that, it's kind of how it's been. It's just me and my mom doing the calving piece of it. My dad feeds, does planting and harvesting, and then we kind of just fill in wherever. And feel free to laugh at me with this question because I'm still gauging exactly how it works. Um, the, the the whole idea with that sort of, that barn. So are you, are you do you have, well, you said calving. So are you, you're block calving, I take it. So how, how does that system in the shed work? Is everything the same age or is everything going... I'm not fully following that part. <laughs> so we, I'm assuming this is what you're asking. We calve in like a 60 day window. That's the time right. frame we're going to have calves hitting the ground. So this last year it was like 75 days or so. Um, but we're going to pull that down. It'll be a little bit longer for the next couple of years because we're moving our calving window ahead a couple months because of the barn we have covered from the elements now. Otherwise we calved in open lots. So you really try to avoid winter. So we'll have like Valentine's Day-ish through April into May is kind of the goal. So all the cows will be on the ground. If they're not in that time frame, we'll cull the cows unless they're like a very specific cow we want to keep or they're going to be terminal, depending on like the whole situation. Then they'll like be out and about, get weaned at the same time. Calves in the feedlot are all within about 60 days of each other. So that's a uniform group. So that way it'll be like just a whole bunch of stress for 60 to 75 days. After that, you can kind of just breathe a little bit so i have got you and it's embarrassing that i asked that question because you'd already <laughs> answered it for me to, to oh, um, yes <laughs> sorry about that um, i've got like this little thing written down and i'm like what part am i on um, the, <laughs> uh, i hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the r2 cast with another really interesting guest i would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today the scottish farmer and I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Yeah, so moving on to crop side, um, what, what area of crop have you got and, and what are you growing? We are corn and soybeans and just a little bit of like alfalfa for the cows. Otherwise, that is the grain belts. We alternate every other year between soybeans and corn on the fields. We try to keep it 50-50 throughout the year, but the fields that are corn this year will be soybeans next year. Go back to corn, flip-flop, keep it going. And for those of you listening from the UK, corn is a confusing term. Corn <laughs> means, corn is basically, I think the, the definition of corn is the most harvested crop in your area. So on our island, I'm from an island in Scotland, uh, it, it would be oats here. My dad always refers to oats as corn. I would say nowadays it's barley, uh, but I assume you're referring to maize, which is, yeah. the actual corn yeah. <laughs> the one that's like called six corn. foot tall giant corn plants corn ear corn <laughs> yeah for sure i i assume that and, and the thing well how how many i assume you'll talk in acres here uh, of that are you growing so we have about okay i'm trying to think we lost a little bit of land this year i think we have about 1100 acres of cropland so you'll take out 100 to 150 of that from hay so I have 400 to 450, 500 acres of corn each year and then of soybeans. So they flip flop. Right. Got you. Got you. Um, and when, when is harvest for you? 
It's obviously going to be different for all those different crops. But. Usually, um, we start with so corn is planted first, corn is harvested last. Beans mm. is planted last, harvested first. Um, I think I said that right. Yes. Yeah, so have, yeah. beans will be harvested. Usually, it's like the week or two after my birthday, end of September, and then into October. Then we hit corn afterwards. Usually, it's like a nice time frame. You just finish up beans. Then you hit corn on the way and you're done. We have silage chopping a little bit before that because that's before corn is completely dry. Um, and then we plant like mid-February into early May, or not mid-February, mid-April into early May. When, when are you cutting that grass? I assume you're getting a few cuts of it. Yeah, so it depends on the year. Um, since we were really dry, our first, we just switched up alpha fields and that field did not do super well in the first cutting. Um, so that first cutting we had to cut because the weed pressure was really bad on it. We have a lot of um, just weed pressure in general up here. So the water hemp was really aggressive. So dad cut that just a little bit early. We only got like four bales off of it. So that was not great. He just did second cutting. It's cut right now. Um, it does look a lot better. So hopefully mm -hmm. that goes well. And then he's hoping to get a third cutting probably early September, somewhere in that time frame, depending on how it goes. And then we have a big pasture we do cut. He only cuts that once a year just because it's 45 minutes down the road with the tractor and equipment. So, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. And for those of you listening, just for reference, I don't know if I've already said this, but we're a week into August at the minute. So, yep. uh, at the time of recording, which is you, you're very much behind the UK in general, but you're, you're maybe about two weeks behind the place I'm from. Um, sort of the uh, island, which is quite interesting actually. Um, certainly from a from a, a hay and and well, we are mainly silage, but you know from that perspective. Um, the thing I was really interested about on the crop side, we spoke about hormones earlier. Um, I assume your maize and soybeans are GMO. Yes, yeah. So that that's not legal here. Um, it's one thing, I, the hormone thing. You've you've uh, I've. <laughs> I say I knew nothing about it before. That wasn't entirely true, but I, I think I was against it. I understand a lot of the things you're, you're saying, um, but GMO I am so far, so far. I don't know why it's illegal here. Well, I do know why. It's the idea of Frankenstein food. Um, yeah, so tell me about GMO. Could, could you guys work without it? Um, so you think about like how dry it's been. If we did not have GMOs right now, we would not have much of a crop at all, especially if you get just a little bit south of us. Um, and our corn is stressed. We opened up those ears the other day and it's getting tipped back. So this much of like the tip doesn't have any, um, corn on it, mm -hmm. but because of the fact that we are drought resistant, we are a little more wind resistant. We've had some really bad, like derecho windstorms come through and it's amazing watching the corn lie flat, stand back up and redo its kind of root system. Um, but just with like the stress we have and being able to use, different pesticides on it. Having Roundup ready corn is the best thing in the entire world. I'm pretty sure Roundup is illegal in the, in the UK as well. No, it's not, but it's I would not. be very surprised if it's not in two years time. It's, it's <laughs> becoming illegal, yeah. Right, so being able to use that and just having drought resistant plants and like pest resistance, we have grasshoppers really bad when droughts hit. Having plants that can be a little resistant to different things is huge, especially from a like at the same point of we don't have to spray our crops as much. We don't mm -hmm. have to do as much tillage sometimes um, because of GMOs. It's just, especially with the droughts right now, you guys don't have that, but we're still going to have a decent crop, even with a lack of rain because of choosing drought resistant seed. It's, it's quite drought resistant seeds insane to me. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> how do they do that? Right. You know, it, it's so cool. Uh, you can basically make this 
organism that requires water or not require water yes it requires water but you know what i mean like it's a uh, quite something and i think it's important that people over here that think gmo is frankenstein foods it's putting you know fish and tomatoes is the famous one um they generally spoke to someone that thought that there was fish in tomatoes you know <laughs> like, well, right and like exactly what that is. only a certain amount of crops in the world that are gmos like most so like food labeling in the united states is ridiculous everything that is like non-gmo they slap a sticker on it even if it could not be a GMO, because we only have like 10 GMO crops right now. People are like, oh, this is GMO, like GMO-free oranges. Oranges are not a GMO crop. They've not been, <laughs> they don't need it, right? Corn, those type of ones, yes. But a lot of it's the stuff that humans don't actually consume as well. So like field corn, nobody eats that around here. The cattle do, or it goes to ethanol, so it's such a good point non-gmo oranges is like saying this is a vegan banana like, you know? <laughs> like the marketing i don't know if marketing is so bad over there too but it's ridiculous how confused consumers are because of the labels they slap on things now i mean it, it, it's not great but i don't think it's that bad i mean yeah, that's that's pretty silly because that it's not false advertising because it's correct but it's one of those things it's almost like what is it it's like curved teaching or whatever there's a name for it it's like yes this is non-gmo but it, it had to be yeah <laughs> it's a good point so it's that's not helpful that's that's it's your, all your... fear based they're trying to get the fear in the consumer so they purchase xyz for more money or to believe that you know conventional is the devil or certain things are not safe when really we have like the safest food supply in the world and people are terrified because it doesn't have a certain label on it and yeah the the the, the fear mongering thing of consumers is a shame because we have you know whatever product it is whether it's a a steak from a highland cow that's been on the hill in scotland or it's a it's a it's it's a sweet corn corn the cob from from where you are it doesn't matter for the most part 99 percent of farmers are producing what they can so that we feed the planet so that we feed the what's going to be eight billion in january next year we're not trying to kill everyone <laughs> uh, and, and and that whole consumerism the supermarkets really don't help that fight uh, must be said um but yes yeah, so so without gmo you guys you guys couldn't couldn't do it is that is that in the the soybeans as well andrea yeah, yeah. Um, most of them are um, all like gmos around here um especially just because of we're all conventional in the area and to increase yields on really fertile ground, the amount of like that that's happening because of GMOs mm -hmm. is amazing. And that's how we're gonna meet the demand is because of GMOs. It's not only fighting off drought and pests and allowing us to use some insecticides and stuff, but it's also improving those yields that we're getting more food out of less acres mm -hmm. every, every single year. Yeah, and, and unless, and, unless they, they take that away, then you're just losing this yeah. basket of food from the middle of America. Yeah, it's, it's gotta be there. Yep. I'm glad that we agree on that one. <laughs> I figured I was like, mm, GMO controversy, but yeah. <laughs> no, I, honestly, GMO has been a thing. I had a mate that worked in the States. He worked for Hoffman Harvesting, who you may or may not have heard of, from what I understand, basically our harvesting contracting company that basically go from Texas to Canada, basically their summer. And uh, he was pro-GMO, and he was sort of 25 when I was starting uni when i was 17 um and i was like gmo that's bad this sort of thing and he talked about it, talked about it. it wasn't part of our education because it's not over here but 
yeah, no, I've I've always been pro, or certainly tenuously pro, very much pro gene editing as well, which is slightly different, but yeah. we don't need to get into all the differences. Um, for those of you listening, the difference between GMO, which is genetic modification, and gene editing, genetic modification is the integration of a foreign gene. Gene editing is the deletion or movement of genes within a similar substance. But we're not going into that. <laughs> that, would take, that would take another half hour. Um, but yeah. Uh, oh, what was the thing I was going to say? It was relating to GMO. Maybe I can't remember. Um, I love seeing sort of systems in different places. You know, we've had we've had people in all over the UK. I've had folk in Canada. I've had folk in it was a cranberry farm. I don't know if I mentioned that we had two weeks ago in Canada, which was was quite interesting. Um, obviously in the states now, I've had different people in the states. One who you, now you're in the YouTube game, which we'll get into in a minute. You might have heard of the Farmer's Life. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had him on, which was a massive get right at the start of the podcast. There's 100,000 followers on, on Facebook, you know. Um, and here in different systems the world over, and we're, I think we're all quite guilty of whatever we are of saying we're better, they're rubbish, yeah. And I often say, I'll be honest, I've, I've came out and said um, that I think welfare standards are better here than they are in some countries and whatever, I have said that. But, and I also push this constant message that, we work for what we have there. You know, your system wouldn't work here. Yeah. My, my system, he says, without a system, wouldn't work where you are, you know? Uh, and, and I think it's good that we, we see all these different things. Um, so yeah, it's been really cool to sort of hear, hear what's there. But from, from the one last question on the crop side, is uh, I'm sure I've got some folk and, and maybe you don't know the answer to this. He said it was more your dad that did this, but what, what combine have you got? People love that question. It's a case IH. I know that it's red. Other than that, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> We're all yes, red. There we, are. <laughs> there we are. Some people love it. Um, so I've got I've got a few like listeners that have kids that listen, and uh, I've had a few messages on Instagram like Wallace, you spoke about their farm, and Stephen wanted to know what combine they had. <laughs> <laughs> so they have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Stephen, if you're listening, um, Stephen's a fake name, but we'll go with it. It was red. Uh, yeah, away away from the farm. Um, the the reason I originally got in touch with you was is was through Instagram, and, and you're you've got social media. You've got Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube. Is that right? Do you do a Facebook or have you avoided yeah, it? I have a Facebook page too. I have all of them. <laughs> all of them, yeah. Um, how many followers do you have on Facebook? Just out of interest. Uh, that one's not very big because I kind of like had it years ago and then I stopped using it because Facebook like pages really didn't do anything for a couple of years and now they're working so I think there's like 2,000 over there it's not it's not great I just kind of reshare stuff because I already make the content so it's just easy to yeah. over there yeah well that, that's the thing it's funny I'm the opposite my my Facebook's I mean I don't have nearly the following you do but my Facebook's something like 5,000 no 4,000 oh, I don't know but it's the biggest one I have um and but it's dead these days, but <laughs> we don't need to get into social media analytics and all that. But uh, what made you start, you mentioned, you touched on this earlier, but what made you start posting online and, and, and talking about farming online? And also, why the name? Because I can't say it. <laughs> I know. Um, so back in 2018, when I hit my lowest, one of my lowest points outside of like when I was 14, when I didn't get into vet school, I was very went downhill. Um, it was also when I turned 21, which is a legal age that you can drink in the United States. And I turned to a very negative coping mechanism. So I was into health and fitness. Um, my first year of college, I got into it and I fell out of that when I lost myself for a couple months. 
So January 1st, 2018, I made a promise to myself, typical New Year's resolution, that I was going to prioritize my health again. Because if I don't take care of my health, my mental health is trash. I like I skip class. It's just not great. So I started sharing online for my fitness journey to hold myself accountable first. And as I started sharing that, I would go home on the weekends and I'd share calving season. And I realized a lot of people were finding my page that I had no idea who they were. Cause prior to this, my social media was like people I actually knew, right? Like classmates and friends and 4-H friends and all that fun stuff. So I found these other people that were interested and they were asking questions. And I also had people that like loved that. So I had, you know, consumers or people that weren't an ag asking questions. And I had people that related to my cow love and obsession. So I started, started sharing more. Um, so eventually I became known as known as the that fit advocate because fitness is a big part of my life. And then I was advocating for agriculture. So it's kind of taken a shift because um, I was a health and fitness coach for a while and I took a step back and I'm not doing that anymore. Um, now it's just like content creation, sharing about farming. Really, that's what I do now. Um, and I contemplated changing my handle, but I kind of just I like being that brand. It's kind of how people know me and it's uniform across platforms. And I'm like, people are like, well, I don't even know what your first name is. And I'm like, well, you can figure it out. As long as you know that I love agriculture and I like fitness, we're good to go on that, on that whole wavelength. Um, and fitness is always going to be a part of who I am, even if I'm not a coach necessarily. Like I worked out before I got on this call and put myself together in like 10 minutes because that's how I handle my mental health. So that's kind of where it started. But it wasn't like, a, I'm going to go tell the world about agriculture. It was just, I'm sharing a little bit. I started finding these people before the algorithm went like chaotic and now it's confusing and stuff. Like people would just see your stuff, right? And we grew from there and it was only on Instagram. And then I created a Facebook like page. Then I went on TikTok during COVID because what else were you going to do during COVID? And, well, everyone done. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I started YouTube recently because I wanted to make longer form content with like a series, like I'm doing a calf to plate series right now, um, following a calf all the way from the moment it's born to the moment it leaves on a trailer to go become beef. Um, and kind of just wanted to like get into that ballpark a little bit. So because sometimes I like have ideas and things I want to share, but Instagram has a limit of like 60 seconds or whatever. And it's hard to fully explain versus a YouTube. So it's first off, I wouldn't change your name. Like, I mean, I don't I've, think I'm going to. No, I'd keep it because I'm kind of similar. I mean, some folks say rural to kitchen's a bit of shit, and fair enough, maybe it is. Uh, but I don't know. It, it's, it's what I am now. Right. <laughs> Much like you probably like are as well. Been um, my identity for four years, and I went to a business retreat, and we were talking about like um, New Mexico Milkmaid. I don't know if you know who she is. Yeah, um, I've heard of her. She yeah. changed her handle a couple months ago, and she's like, I feel like I had an identity crisis, but she did it. And we just kind of had a conversation and I thought I was going to, and then I was launching apparel and I was doing all these things. And I was like, you know, people can figure out my first name. If they know of me as like that fit advocate versus Andrea, I'm okay with that. Like yeah. Yeah. they know who I am. Right. So I kept it and I'm okay with it because everything is branded like that. So it's just. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think I've watched, the, I watched, I said to you at the start, I don't really watch much stuff. The stuff I probably watch is just mindless YouTube you know, um, because I, I need to switch off sometimes and I, I quite enjoy that. And, and I watch the like, Q&As with YouTubers and stuff. And I watch this guy, he's a football YouTuber here, in, uh, like soccer YouTuber here in the UK. And um, his girlfriend, uh, one of the questions she has is, what would a tip be for someone starting social media now? And he's like, use your own name. And uh, so like, well, it's Curry, Andrew, Fleming, whatever. And I was like, oh shit, maybe I've done this wrong. But like, that's almost my online name now. 
you know, like people know I'm Wallace, people know you're Andrea, but like it's 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 a thing, and it's I feel like it's easier to brand. Like I could never write Wallace Curry on a shirt, you know, I'm never gonna do that. But uh, it's it's much easier to do the the sort of like you're talking about the apparel there. Um, yeah, so it, it it's that that transition of of I'm making a TikTok, so I'm holding it this way, and then now I'm making YouTube, so I'm holding it this way is is quite quite it fun stressful like i'll like snap <laughs> something really quick like we bet a cattle this morning and i was like cool get it like on camera and i was like cool it's up and down for instagram now if i wanted to convert this to youtube i need to like so i bought a camera to like that i'll shoot landscape so i can shoot the same time and figure it out because i realized that the youtube audience if it's not this way they get angry about it <laughs> so my thing that i do is shoot landscape on 0.5 zoom so you're looking and crop it and get a portrait as well um what i started doing because i i mean at youtube i only really post this stuff on it but i also i've been added into lots of different committees as like the the video guy which is a shame because i'm not a video guy but you know um i've been added to these things i've got this phone i've got this ipad and what i was doing was i was walking around with the tripod and i was like filming something like this and then, right, okay, I've got that, right, go back, and then go like this, and so I can work with both, and I'm like, this is not sustainable, that's got to be an easy I know, way. and, like, four years of me going like this, now I have to remember to, like, also go like this, it's, it's just confusing, so. It is, it is. I, I love that idea, though, that, uh, you know, following the calf plate, that's that's cool. People, you're in for a, a absolute whirlwind of comments when you get to the plate stage by the way. I'm waiting for like that video to take off and it's going to be chaotic because everyone's like it just takes one video all of a sudden to like get traction and then your channel yeah. is like huge which right now we're like 123 subscribers or something so I was like yeah. I think it was actually 126 because I just checked oh. so you've flown wow. up today. Uh, it's, it's, I think the YouTube we talked about algorithms is the interesting one. I mean, you've probably heard of Sandy Brock. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so a, a good mate of mine, Cami Wilson, is the sheep game over here, and he's he's by far the fastest farming growing YouTuber in the country. And uh, now he's on like the main farming TV show. He's he's a presenter on that. It's just flown up, but he was on about eight k subs, so doing really well. But then Sandy shouted him out, and like I was watching, it. he was at fourteen in like three days. <laughs> you know, like it, it takes something to happen and then right. you know but there's a lot of work in it right. oh my gosh so. I thought it would be like super simple because I already have the content and I'm making content all the time but editing YouTube videos and getting enough content to explain is still a struggle for me yeah beyond anything so it, and it's what you say you've got the content it's weird how different that content is TikTok is let's have a laugh let's be daft Instagram reels are the same uh, and then YouTube is like yeah like you're making a series um it's it's quite fun <laughs> i'm consuming but it's also great so i told myself it'll be worth it as much as i hate it some moments i'm like it'll be worth it i promise <laughs> yeah but i'm sure you hate it but it's also great you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't enjoy it you know uh, i assume um just out of interest what do you use to edit videos um i was using my phone to edit that was great because i'm always just on my phone it's easy for me to do it yeah. kind of in a little pocket so i had an app that i was using it was like video rama or something i've used it for right. years for anything um, and I just started using iMovie on my MacBook because I was like, I can airdrop everything, move it over, and it's really easy. I just had to actually like sit down and make it happen. So, well, the the one the reason I asked is I noticed you had an iPhone. I do all of mine basically whatever I filmed it on. If I filmed it on the iPad or filmed it on the iPhone, I haven't got any editing software on my MacBook. So, um, I use LumaFusion. It's oh. it's 
Yeah, yeah, Ch- check it out. It's, it's like a one-off payment. I think it's like, I don't know, it'll probably be like $35. I think, I think it's 20-something pounds. Um, the, but it's, it's, it's just about advanced as there is behind Premier Pro. It's not Premier Pro, but you don't need Premier Pro. <laughs> like it's way too advanced. Um, yeah, so I, I mainly use that and then use a, an app called Epidemic Sound for like um, for like royalty-free music on YouTube. Because obviously I'll get, you know, get a copyright band and that sort of thing. You mentioned apparel. You've got quite a cool little apparel company. One of my uh, one of my favourite ones I've seen is Eat Real Beef, Drink Real Milk, and what is it? Have a Good Life, I think. Uh, yeah. I think that's class. So um, how did that come about and is it going quite well? So I just launched it probably like a week and a half ago or so. So I partnered with Kaz Gear. So they handle everything for me. So if you've heard of like the New York Farm Girls or... Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is who they compare. Yeah. Right, so okay. they... They work with them as well. So I reached out to Casgear and I was like, hey, I wanted to do this for a while, but I didn't want to house all the apparel or like have it here or ship it because mm. right now it's fine. But until I get to like busy season, I don't want to be shipping orders at two o'clock in the morning when I'm like <laughs> running on no sleep. So um, worked with them, created some designs and got it launched. And it's great because they handle all of that. I do everything like talking about it, promoting it and it's fun. So just have three designs. And then if this goes well, I get to do like non-apparel items, like seven bar ranch has um, like coffee or there's like ear tags and all kinds of fun stuff. So I can nice. more. So, and hats and stuff. So, but yeah, it's nice because they do all of it for me really besides talking about it. So. Yeah. Well, that's, you're working to your skill and their skill. Definitely. Like, I think you've just moved a tiny bit to the side from where you were before. Were we able to get any of those cowboy looking hats that we see in the background? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, there is still there is. Yeah, you'd have to try all of them now as a yeah, um for the apparel. That'd be good fun. Uh I, I always like to ask folks that have sort of a an online following. It's quite funny, you know, over over here, um the absolutely massive agricultural Instagrams are like 10 and 15k. And if you're getting bigger than that, it's huge over here. But I, I notice in the States, there's quite a lot at that size. And I think you're 30 something from what? Mm-hmm. Is it? It's like 33 or somewhere in that, right? 30, 33, 34, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, d- does that, you obviously said, you know, you sort of, you looked to go into veterinary, you've now come back to the farm, you're sort of easing in once this barn's there, you'll be full time. You're obviously full time at the minute, but, you know, really full time then. Um, does, does it help on the side? I think yes. So, there's a lot like since Instagram reels came to the, the front of everything, there's a lot of accounts that have blown up because of them. Cause if you have a couple go viral, then your following can grow massively. Yeah. Um, just fall, I had one blow up and I gained like 8,000 followers in like seven days. Like all yeah. it takes yeah. is some reels. Sometimes they're not like I deleted a lot of people cause it wasn't the right people. Um, but once you have that, like monetizing social media is really great. You just have to have a certain benchmark and a certain community to make it happen. Um, but I always felt like I was like super awesome for having like 15,000. And now I'm, I feel like everybody has like 30 to 40. It's just, we kind of all grew together and it's scary yeah. how fast you can grow. And then like, you'll be stuck somewhere for forever. And all of a sudden you'll shoot up again. It's weird. But yeah, I'd say getting to 30 was kind of the point that I could monetize. And then TikTok is different and all that fun stuff. I mean, TikTok itself isn't monetizable for views. I mean, there's a guy over here. KSI, who you may or may not have heard of, the whole KSI Logan Paul fight was the like vlog YouTuber thing that happened. But he's he's probably the biggest YouTuber. I mean, not agriculture at all, just YouTuber in the UK. 
and he makes something like two grand a month from TikTok and he's the biggest one in the country. So it's like, it's not making major no, money. I've made like $200 from the TikTok creator fund. It's like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but the brand partnerships and then like apparel yeah. and those things that come is much better. Um, like I've made more on Instagram with like the Reels bonus than I ever have on TikTok. Yeah, so, so it's, they're almost like tools to, to then promote. So you've got to do more than the content. You've got to then create something for folks to jump into. Um, which you've obviously just done and fair play to you for it um, do you enjoy the whole TikTok, YouTube, Facebook Instagram grind? I really, like if I had to pick one or was only allowed to do one, I would stay on Instagram fully, that's my favourite one of all of them I love being on like stories and stuff because I feel like that's really how I like build the connections and being my weird self like before this I was like, I just got ready from mm. Hot Mess Express um, sorry my Alexa is talking to me no, to like ready to go like that's just where i'm my quirky self um tiktok is weird because it's like you put effort into content and nothing happens and then you post something in like 10 seconds and it blows up and i'm like i don't understand and then youtube i'm kind of just hanging out waiting so if i had to pick one though i would be on instagram as much as it's making me mad right now with the algorithm i just really like stories and my community there like my women in ag community there is the best thing in the entire world Great, I love to hear that because, like, I feel like there's this ag community thing. I speak about it on the R2 cast quite often, and everyone's so supportive of each other. You know, like, I've even got a few folk in the states and now start speaking to yourself. I'll be another person. You meet all these folk, and oh, it's great. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite enjoyable. And, and I think, from I think, I enjoy making TikToks because it, it is just stupid, but like you say, yeah, you I can put a bit of effort into one, I actually edit it, then I'll put some good music. All oh, that music doesn't work. And then it got like two likes and then, and then well, like two, but you know what I mean? And then you put something out, it's like some daft, just daft video of your face or whatever. And then it gets like 500. They're like, what's happened? Why is this I happening? I feel like I, I keep it much more like professional on Instagram. And then like TikTok, I'm like, I don't really give a crap today. So this is yes, exactly. <laughs> like, that's kind of my difference. I'm like, if you want to see the real and raw Andrea and stories all the time, go watch my TikToks because I like do not give a crap over there really. <laughs> so yeah and then, then i've got like a snapchat where i've only got friends on it and that's how much i it better never get shared you know like, right. uh, yeah for sure um no it's, it's a cool space and, and glad you're sort of finding your way through it and jumping into youtube maybe you'll be the next youtube star of the next i just hope that i can just like educate and long-form content monetize a little bit over there and hang out because yeah for sure like just sharing what I especially with calving season it'll help to have like content like this is what I did today right now I feel like it's a little slow what's happening because I'm doing more of this mm-hmm. um but yeah it'll be really fun so no I'm sure it will be and it, it, it is it is a bit of a grind I mean my my YouTube's now 18 months old it's at about 1.1k subs so it's just monetized um I'm averaging about three and a half thousand views roughly a week um and it's made about 40 quid so it's not not massive either, but we'll get there. We'll get there. It's something. It's extra. Something you wouldn't have otherwise. Exactly. Exactly. And in fairness, I haven't actually been able to claim that yet because I haven't set up all this stuff. So it's just sitting there. <laughs> I'll, I'll try and build it up until it's like I need money. Then I'll, I'll set this up. And, right. Um, no, it's been really cool. Cool to chat. Uh, I love getting folk from a different country. Always enjoy it. Um, and yeah, someone who's really not travelled. Um, just given when I finished uni and then COVID and all that, it's it's really interesting to hear hear different stories. But there's two questions I ask everyone before we finish. Um, 
One of which, by the way, this has flown by. It's been an hour and 15 minutes. I did not realise that. I was really good at it. Obviously got deep into hormones and, and GMO. Um, yeah. Uh, first off, where do you see yourself in five years? And secondly, if you had any tips for folk coming into farming, what would they be? Um, where do I see, see myself in five years? Um, the goal is to be doing a lot more at the farm and hopefully um, taking over the cattle side of things to the point that I, my husband and I own the cattle. Um, especially just the cows is probably the goal and hopefully we are doing a little bit more of the crops ourselves is the goal we gotta take that away from my dad's hands a little bit um and he wants to he just doesn't want to give up the control a little bit so that's the goal um hopefully kind of monetizing more and just having the social media platforms so i don't have to do all of them i'm hoping to have one or two main ones and kind of stick there that way i'm not everywhere and stressed out in multiple ways um and hopefully doing some more speaking engagements because i really like speaking and traveling so hopefully more of that um but definitely i just see myself farming a lot more and being more hands-on in the trenches more a little bit and then top tips if you're coming into farming do not be afraid to ask questions and if you want to document it from day one document it from day one you're gonna feel like you don't know anything you're gonna feel like you're an idiot but that is the way you're going to grow and you're going to learn. And if you take time to ask the questions of people doing the things already, you can learn a lot and know that there's no one size fits all one way to do anything. We uh, have a big like no-till versus, you know, like GMO, non-GMO, conventional versus organic, all that regenerative ag, conventional, there's lots of different routes. So follow what you choose to do, but don't be afraid to learn and have fun doing it. Very good points. And I think, you know, you mentioned it, don't feel like an idiot. It's a shame that that's even a thing because, I mean, people don't go into making pizzas and they start the first day like, I feel like an idiot because I don't have to make a pizza. We, we have this massive industry and there's this weird stigma that you must know everything when you're 12. Anything. Like, I learn every single day. Like, it comes to crops, I'm, like, the biggest dummy out here. But I'm learning. And that's <laughs> I don't what I give myself credit for, right? Like, it's the little things you're going to learn every single day that are going to compound to you feeling confident in what you do. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if I've actually said to you, I think I might have said it in the message I originally got in touch with you with, but I'm an agricultural lecturer. Um, and I think I make a point of making it over to students that I do not know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I come on this podcast, and there's been two or three things we've spoke about that I knew very little about. Like it says, it, it's a massive learning curve. We're you know, you and I, I don't know your age, Andrew, but I'm 25, we're, we're, we're clearly not old, um, and you can't know everything, so it's a really good one, and it's actually reminded me of one thing I meant to ask you that I've just lost in this abyss of words that I plan on asking. Um, you you speak, you're, 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 you're a speaker, could you tell us about that? It's actually kind of new, it's not something I ever uh, saw myself doing, like I took speech class in high school and college and I thought it was the worst thing in the world, but it was on topics that I didn't enjoy. Um, but I spoke at a Wisconsin beef tour about advocating for the beef industry online and that is like my passion happy place is talking to people about how to start sharing, or how to combat you know myths or issues we're having, um, especially because like when you do something that you love, it doesn't feel like work. So I could go do this in front of a crowd and I'd be happier than anything. So that's kind of where that's at. But if I can talk about cows or agriculture in general or my mental health story, I'm pretty, pretty proud of that as well. I'm talking some different FFA chapters and such about growing up and not fitting in and then going through all that. Um, That's kind of my newest little thing that I've been doing. It's just hard to Usually they're in like the busy seasons, so to do the speaking events is a little bit of a challenge sometimes. 
Well, I mean, it feels wrong to say this, but for having allowed you to speak for about cows for two, for an hour and a half and speaking about your mental health story, I feel like I should say you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> um, speaking is amazing. Like, I mean, like you say, I mean, as a kid, good God, could I think of anything worse? Not at all. Oh, I right. asked to, Yeah, exactly. I get asked to sort of come to speak as entertainment, but also speak as like real to a point, a local young farmers thing. It's just great fun. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you have this idea in your head for anyone listening that maybe has been offered to speak at something or whatever that everyone there wants you to fail. That's <laughs> just not the case. They're there to have dinner. They're already well oiled. They want to have a giggle, and you can be the person to make that. So yeah, it's 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 great, and and that sounds brilliant. So uh, hopefully now that I I follow you and, and haven't done for you know prior to two or three weeks ago, um start to see more of that that'll be good uh, i hope for those of you listening <coughs> that you've really enjoyed andrea's story i certainly have and um, next week we're coming very much closer to home back to ayrshire with the wee brune hens and i'll give you a little heads up for r2cast 59 it was the night before our local agricultural show and gordon and maria who are the wee brune hens um said they would quite like to film it in my kitchen which was a good idea because it was really real. It was interesting to sit alongside the table with them. But as I said, it was the night before our agricultural show and there was a lot of whiskey nearby. So um, number 59 is quite entertaining. It's about an hour and 40 minutes. Um, I wouldn't go as far as saying oh, I was drunk, but we'd certainly been a wee bit tipsy. Uh, we've been trying our sort of local queen liqueur. So uh, yeah, it was a good laugh. So we'll see you for number 59. Andrea, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. It's absolutely flown by. It's been a really interesting chat, as most of the Articasts are, and hopefully we'll keep in touch. Of course. Good off. Speak to you later on, and see you all for number 59. Well, that's it. Another Articast finished. Another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time, uh, and it always has done. But I've now went weekly and with that comes even more time required and I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.